0: This morning we have um, someone that's well known to us, his name is Brother Carvin Adams, and his scripture reading today will be from Genesis 12, 1 through 4. Um, if you have the regular pew Bibles, it's in page 11, I don't know what it was in the large print because I couldn't find one, and I also like to use the YouVersion app on my phone, and um, you're welcome to use that, we won't tell you to put your phone away for now. Genesis twelve one through four. And the Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make unto you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. May God bless the reading of his word.
1: Thank you, Kelly, for reading that scripture for us. New Year's Day is one of the oldest holidays still celebrated, but the exact date and the nature of those festivities festivities have changed throughout the years. The celebration of New Year's Day originated in ancient Babylon, really the homeland of Abraham and uh, Sarah. Many cultures have celebrated New Year's Day, and they have used the sun and the moon cycles to determine the first day of the year, which usually was spring. It wasn't until Julius Caesar implemented the Julian calendar that January the 1st became the common day for celebration of New Year's Day as we do today. Usually uh, food has become a part of celebration. Here in the South, we like our black-eyed peas and ham, cabbage, cornbread. Many cultures... uh, have all their food round to celebrate a cycle that has been completed. If you make your cornbread in a round skillet as we do, I guess that would qualify as being the circular cycle that the year has been completed. As we served as missionaries in Ecuador, we saw a very unusual custom that they celebrate there. They will oftentimes make a man-sized dummy dressed up as a man, place him outside their houses, sometimes even build a miniature house to place him within that house. And then at midnight on New Year's Eve, they will set it on fire, representing the old year has been completed, a new year is about to take place. But regardless of the culture, regardless where you might be, New Year's always represents a new beginning in life. The old is now behind us. It's, uh, it's dead. It's a time to start something new in one's life. And today I want us to look at the life of Abraham, sometimes called Abram before his name was changed by God, and his wife, Sarai, whose name was changed to Sarah. And as they went through their spiritual journey with God, there were three major crises in their lives that became turning points, new adventures in their faith. And at each one of these crises, or these new beginnings as I call them, God asked of them to surrender something that was very dear to their hearts. But in each case, he gave them something better. And it became a turning point, a time in their lives where they grew more spiritual. And I want to share these three new steps of faith with you this morning. You probably have already studied them, but it's good to rehash them out again. The first I call the surrender of their past, and we just read about it in Genesis, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 4 when God first called them to leave Ur, which was located in the south around where we think uh, God first placed Adam and Eve, the cradle of civilization. Abraham was about 70 years old when God called him to leave his home, to leave his people, to leave everything behind that was most familiar to him. And he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to many, many people. I think that's an indication that his descendant, Jesus Christ, would be a blessing to everyone who by faith accepts him as their Savior. He leads him to the north, to a place called Haran, step by step, day by day, to a place he had never heard of to a place he had never visited, to a place he would end up. And then as verse 4 tells us, at the age of 75, God says, I want you to go south. Not to Louisiana, but to the land that would later be known as Canaan, to Israel. So he would follow then coming down into the fertile lands of the Jordan River to a place where his descendants would later make... As their homeland. I understand to some degree what Abraham must have felt. And I say to some degree, a small degree, because I left my home some years ago when Sandy and I moved to Ecuador as missionaries. We sold our house, which was Sandy's dream house. It was a hundred years old. It belonged to the first police chief of Tulsa. Two-story, somewhat Victorian house. We sold our two cars, sold all of our furniture except for three pieces: antique claw-foot table and chairs. Packed up all of our belongings, except what would go into 24 boxes that the Missionary Board said we could take with us—1,700 pounds. We moved to a place that we had never visited before in our lives. Uh, didn't know a single person. All we knew, we were going south. Could to a continent we had never even been upon. Read a little bit about it. Went to a place we could not speak the language, not a single word except for see and "no." Had never studied Spanish in high school, barely understood English. Someone asked, Are you fluent in English or Spanish? I said, I've been speaking English some 40 years. I would not say I'm even fluent in English. We uh, didn't have an automobile for 14 months. We walked to school eight blocks one way, walked to buy groceries. For 14 months, we walked or took a bus or taxi. As you can imagine, we had mixed emotions. We were excited to be the first Church of God missionaries that Anderson sent to Ecuador, but saddened to leave everybody behind. Some 20-some members of our family met us at the airport in Monroe to say goodbye. For the missionary board said, we will not bring you home for three and a half years. But I told the missionary, we're coming home every Christmas at our own expense. And they agreed I had just performed the wedding of our daughter, Carla, some five or six months earlier. I could not come home for our Mark's graduation from Bible college. I could not come home for my grandmother's funeral. We could not call our children on the phone. It cost $3 a minute to call from Ecuador. This was before the days of email and Skype. We could only communicate with them by mail or facts. So the leaving of our past to follow the Lord's will was a new beginning of faith that still impacts our lives today. So I understand to a small degree what Abraham must have felt when he left his home, left most of his family, all except for Sarai and Lot, his nephew, and his family. To start this new beginning of faith, this new adventure as he started to the north to Haran. This drastically changed his life and the life of those near him and the life of those who would follow down through the history of mankind, even to us today. Have you ever started... A new beginning of faith with God. It begins when we confess our sins to Jesus Christ and invite Him into our life. When we leave our sinful past behind by surrendering that to God and experiencing His forgiveness and following the Lord day by day, oftentimes not knowing exactly where He's going. Jesus in his conversation to Nicodemus said, it's like being born again. The old is past. The new man has now come alive. When Paul was writing to the Philippians, he says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. See, Abraham left it all behind in the past. To start this new beginning with God. And I submit to you he was already a believer. He already had a relationship with God. But this was a new step of faith. This new adventure when he left his past. In the past. And started towards the north. There's a second crisis in his life. A second step of faith when he surrendered his present plans. You may recall that when God called him to leave his past, he promised to make him into a nation. But there's a problem. He doesn't have any children. And you know the history. Abraham's not getting any younger. Neither is his wife Sarah. As often is the case, when God gives us a promise... He doesn't tell us when we will receive that promise. And Sarah especially, but Abraham seems to be quite thrilled to go along with the plan. She comes up with this plan herself. In Genesis 16th chapter, if you'd like to turn there quickly, we'll read about this plan. You probably already know about it. But in Genesis, the 16th chapter, let me read verses 1 through 4. Genesis 16, 1. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had bore him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. We could probably spend another 30 minutes talking about why god has kept her barren but we won't go sleep with my maidservant perhaps i can build a family through her now keep in mind that the, the the bible is a progressive revelation of god revealing himself and his plan to mankind this was before god had told man one wife is enough Sometimes one wife is too many, depending on whether or not it's the right wife. But this was before God had given those instructions. Abraham agreed. He, did, he didn't try to talk his wife out of that. That was the first mistake. To what Sarah said, so after Abraham had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian servant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Now go over to verse 15. So Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram gave the name, which was customary the man would name the son Ishmael to the son she Now go over quickly to chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the time God had promised him. Notice that means in God's own timing, which is always perfect and complete. Verse 5, Abraham was a 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him, meaning he was physically unable, but yet God worked a miracle in he and Sarah's life. Drop down to verse 8 through 13. The child being Isaac grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham had a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had bore to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share the inheritance with my son Isaac. The no matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be distressed about the boy and her maid servant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of your of the maid servant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Ishmael was not a part of God's original plan. He was not the son through whom God wanted to build a nation. Ishmael was the result of two godly people, Abraham and Sarah, when I consider them godly, who got ahead of God's timetable. Therefore, God instructed them here in this chapter, chapter 21, go ahead and get rid of the slave woman and her son which is the son of Abraham. Go ahead and get rid of the plans that you had, the plans you made, which were not my plans in the original setting, so I can work my plans through you, which happens to be Isaac. Let me make a statement here. You can call it a principle or whatever. I didn't put it on the outline. I should have. The direction and the progress of your spiritual journey will be determined by your willingness to surrender all your plans and patiently wait on God. Let me repeat that. The direction and progress of your spiritual journey will always be determined by your willingness to surrender all your plans to God and patiently wait. And that's a hard word there, Wait. Whether you're trying to lose it or whether you're trying to wait, oh God, that's a hard word. Because I had to wait, I think it was five years, when God called me to missions. I began to wait, I began to pray for God to open the door. I prayed for five years before he ever said a single word. Yes, no, or, or, or anything else. And finally, after five years, he said one thing, wait. I said, I don't want to wait. Either say, yes or no. Let me go on with my life. He said, no, I've got other plans for you right now. I said, I don't want to hear it. He kept saying, wait, wait, wait. What if Abraham and Sarah had awaited? They learned this lesson hard the hard way. Ishmael became the father of what we call the Arabs today. And Isaac became the father of the Jews. I've often wondered what would have happened. Those two cultures have been fighting each other for 3,800 years. What would have happened if Ishmael had not been born? Would we have the terrorists today? It wouldn't be from the Muslims. Because the Muslim or Islam religion has grown out of the Arab culture see Abraham's spiritual journey his new beginning of faith began when by faith he surrendered his paths in Ur and left his home it accelerated when he surrendered his present plans and got rid of Ishmael not knowing how God was going to take care of him and then there came a third time in his life And I think this had to be the hardest. When God asked him to surrender his future, which was Isaac, and we see this in the 22nd chapter of of uh, Genesis. If you'll turn to the 22nd chapter, let me read verses one and two. Sometime later, doesn't tell us when, but I submit to you, I think he was in his teens. Because Isaac knew what it meant to worship God. And as it, Abraham was binding Isaac to the altar, I think he put up a fight. I think that's the main reason he was binding him to the altar. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son. Your only son, Isaac. Notice he says, your only son, Isaac. And then he has to emphasize, whom you love. And go to the region of Moriah. Now we believe that region of Moriah and the mount to which he leads him happens to be the same mount on which Christ was crucified years later. Sacrificing him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, and then he says, I will show you. Notice again, he doesn't tell him exactly where to go, he leads him day by day, which, according to scripture, is a three day journey. Day by day journey. For 30 years, Abraham had been waiting for this boy, God's promise. Abraham's already given up one son, Ishmael, and now God is asking him to give up his other son. Isaac represents his future. He's the fulfillment of God's promise to him through whom a nation, a great nation, that would influence the world that a Messiah would come from would be built. Can you imagine how he must have felt? I think we can to some degree, but not completely. As he led Isaac up that mountain, built the altar, placed the wood upon the altar, and then tied his son to that altar. Let's read verses 6 through 13. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac. Many see Isaac as a Uh, typified sacrifice is Christ. Christ carried his mode of sacrifice to Calvary. Isaac carries his up the mountain. And he himself carries the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I can only imagine how that gripped Abraham's heart. How it almost tore it in two. See, Isaac had not brought any lamb except his son. Abraham answered, notice the faith. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, and the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God told him about Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. How important it is to be in position... To hear God when He speaks. God stopped him just in time. Verse 12. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son. And he emphasizes again, your only son. Abraham looked up, in there, and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. How was Abraham able to obey God? How was he able to leave behind his home, everything that was familiar with him? You know, so easy for us to get in a rut and become comfortable. How was he able to leave all that behind? How was he able to tell Hagar and Ishmael to leave, not knowing what their well being would come about or how God was going to take care of them? How was he able now to climb this mountain and come this close to sacrificing his son? Well, we have to go all the way to the New Testament to get these answers in the book of Hebrews and that's why we say the bible is complete when we read the old and new testament hebrews the 11th chapter let me quickly refer you to these verses hebrews the 11th chapter verses 8 through 12 hebrews 11:8 through 12 of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, who architect and builder is God. By faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered himself faithful, who had made the promise. And so from one man, and he as good as dead, became descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Drop down to verse 17. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back. It all boils down to one thing. Abraham was able to have these new adventures with God because of one thing, it was faith. Faith. And what is faith? Well, we go back to verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, none of us can see God. None of us have ever seen him with our physical eyes. But we hope for God to see him one day. We are certain that we will see him if we are his children. And that's where our faith is grounded or based upon that. I see two dimensions of Abraham's faith in studying the Bible as a whole. If you'll turn quickly back to, well I think I may have it in your outline, Romans the fourth chapter, two dimensions of... Abraham's faith in verse 20 and 21. The first is he had faith in God's promises. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. You see, each new step of faith in Abraham's life God always gave him a promise. And Abraham believed him. When Abraham left his home, when he surrendered his past, God gave him a promise. He says, I will make you into a great nation. When he surrendered his present plans, which were, was Ishmael, and sent him off, God again gave him a promise. He said, I will make the sun into a nation also. And then when God was about to sacrifice Isaac, surrendering what he thought was his future, he says, I will surely bless you and make descendants, your descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. See, Abraham had learned, when God gives me a promise, I can trust Him. I can trust Him. He never has failed me. Therefore, he was willing to surrender everything he had to God. Therefore, he had hope. And it was certain. Knowing that he would receive something better than what he was giving up. The Bible is full of promises. But for some reason, we find it hard to surrender what we consider ours. When in reality, nothing is really ours. Nothing. Nothing. Whether it be our families, our resources, nothing. Everything we have comes from God and everything already belongs to him so what why do we think we can hold on to it when it already belongs to him give it back to him so he can bless us and we can bless someone else so abraham's faith was in god's promises there's another dimension of his faith it was in god's power I see it in verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. I love what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He said, Christ is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So if you boil everything down that we said this morning, Abraham's life could be described in three words. He had faith. Well, that's more than one. I'm going to put it down faith in God. His faith was demonstrated in his willingness to surrender everything to him, his past, his present, and his future. Harold S. Martin said this, and I quote, The final test of real faith is its readiness to abandon and devote all to God. End of quote. I'm going to ask us to stand as I read something, and then we'll sing a song of invitation. It is customary on New Year's Day to make rev- uh, resolutions. I guess you might say a promise or a declaration. Most of those are broken within three weeks. I probably have gotten to the point I seldom make any anymore. I do try to make some spiritual ones. Some I keep and I must admit some of them don't. But a missionary by the name of Thomas Barclay has a prayer that he would pray on New Year's Day, and then he would sign his name at the end of that prayer, and that became his prayer, you might say, of dedication for the year. It's just a few sentences, I'm gonna read it to you. I'm gonna encourage you, challenge you, to make that or make this your New Year's resolution or declaration or resolve this year. As I read this, if this is your heart's desire, you may want to come and stand around these front pews or sit at these front pews. If you have a prayer or need that you'd like uh, me to pray with you, you can come to these front altars, regardless of what your need may be this morning. But let me read this prayer to you and then we'll have a song of invitation he goes like this and I quote this day do I surrender myself to you talking to the Lord I renounce all former lords that have had dominion over me and I concentrate to you all that I have the faculties of my mind the members of my body my worldly possessions my time my influence to be used entirely for your glory and resolutely employ in obedience to your commandments as long as you continue to give me life with an ardent desire and humble resolution to continue yours through all the ages of eternity. To you I leave the management of all events and say without reserve, not my will but yours be done. End of quote. Just a simple, simple prayer of dedication for this year. We have a lot of step stones, if you will, along our spiritual journey with Christ. Some of them are major, some of them are minor. These were three major ones in Abraham's life. I can look back on my spiritual journey almost 60 years now. Some have been very major. Not only have they influenced my life, they've influenced my wife's, my children, my seven grandchildren, and some others around me. Your spiritual journey will be marked by occasions in your life when by faith God will ask you to surrender something To him, something that will be very, very close to your heart if you're desiring to grow. It will be a challenge. I will not kid you, it will not be easy. I know from personal experience. You may say the cost is too much. Sometimes the cost is very, very much. But it costs Jesus his life. But I will tell you from experience, I will tell you from my knowledge of Scripture, you will always, always receive something better in return. I will not would not exchange any of my surrenders to the Lord for anything else. Never. All of my family did not understand me going to Ecuador. And Uncle said, if you go there and if you're able to save every person in that country, all 14 million, it's not worth it. Well, sad to say, he died and went to hell. But he never became a believer in his 90-some years. You say, well, you're being judgmental. No, I'm just saying what Scripture says about going to heaven and hell. Are you ready for a new adventure in faith? I don't like living a comfortable life, to be honest with you. It gets boring. I like living on the edge. I think God calls us to live on the edge, to touch lives. So as we sing a few verses of an invitation, these altars are open. If you want to make this prayer your resolution for the year, won't you come?